Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I got like an extra runny nose today. I think it's because we're covering a British topic. I think a lot of British people have that nasal drip where it goes all the way back because of the bad ducks. No, that's not true. No, I don't think that's not a stereotype of the British people, a runny nose. And they've got a lot of slime behind their Adam's apple. I don't know for sure. I'm not a, uh, a doctor in England, so I'm not sure. But we'll find out. We go there for a UK tour in September. Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait. wait. To see you guys. The, the strange like oh. stereotypes you come up with for groups of people. No, oh, Deirdre, Deirdre, is this my daughter or is this my wife? Oh, Deirdre, Deirdre. Right. Oh. Seems like a very a, serious day. Yeah, seems like a vision problem there. Okay, oh. this is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben. That's Marcus. Hello. We got Henry over in Los Angeles. How you doing, buddy? I am 178 pounds horny today All for this right. topic. I am so excited for this topic. This is this is serious. This Again, is really serious. This is, this is fucking serious. Okay. If All right? you're, if and I already hear the mocking tone in your voice. <laughs> I'm not mocking. No, I'm th- no, this is British. And as we talked about before the show, anything that happens in the UK with the British folks, I take very seriously because they're a serious people, let's <laughs> they, be honest. They sound very intelligent sometimes. They yes. really do. So today's topic, you know, I think we're... I think we've been doing this podcast long enough to really handle this topic. I really do. <laughs> I and do. it is I do too. It's, it's the Roswell of the UK mm-hmm. and it is called good. Rendlesham. I hate you, man. <laughs> the Rendlesham Forest UFO it's incident. Called, it's not it's called, called Rendlesham. Right, I don't know. Rendlesham sounds like a large man who works on a farm. If you just take the, if you just say Rendlesham, <laughs> it just it sounds like a man you pay that he he takes big boulders out of unusable yes. dirt. Like, that's part of what he does. And the other thing is, sometimes, if you're real tired, he'll make love to your wife. All right. He also <laughs> kind of sounds like someone you say, Randlesham, and then he's in the middle of taking a dump, and he says, whoop, and then the dump goes right back into his butt, and then he's like, whoop. <laughs> 
puts on his trousers like, I'm ready to work. Yes. <laughs> no, actually, Very it's weird. an incredibly compelling UFO case. <laughs> yes, I know. Rendlesham. That's what we're covering today. A super, as Henry said, compelling UFO case. So this is, actually, I'm very excited. Yeah. The Rendlesham Forest UFO incident is perhaps the most well-documented, credible, and impressive collection of UFO sightings in modern times. Yeah, Marcus, yeah! Yeah, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Over the course of two nights in December of 1980, dozens of U.S. military personnel stationed in Suffolk, England, witnessed intelligently controlled craft in the sky. And as if that wasn't enough, a further two soldiers claimed to have come into contact with the craft while it was actually on the ground. Ooh, so fun. Now, the reason why we say this is so credible is because of the people who have come forward in the intervening years to speak about the incident. First, let's acknowledge the author of Encounter at Rendlesham, our main source for this series. This is definitely the most legit of the books about the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident because mm. Nick Pope has spent a long time being very serious and he wants to make sure that he gets enough of his information in there as possible, as tight as possible. But I will say, I think there are more Cuckoo Bananas self-published books about the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident than almost any other topic in UFO history because there are many men in this that believe they are the main character. <laughs> uh, interesting. All right. Very cool. And of course, uh, the Rendlesham, um, a lot of times, well, never mind. I, I was going to get a little blue with it. Okay. The Rend- <laughs> what? Was- oh, you don't want to go. Come on, get a little blue. Come get on. A little blue with turn the lights light out. Usually the late nights, man. Rendlesham night incident is when you have sex with a man in the woods. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I was going to get a little blue there, but. Uh, I- you talk about the brambles from Central Park. You're saying that you could go out into the Rendlesham Forest, and that's where you get your dick sucked by a man with one eye. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. Okay. Well, the author of Encounter at Rendlesham, as Henry said, is Nick Pope. From 1991 to 1994, Pope actually worked for the British Ministry of Defense investigating UFOs, alien abductions, crop circles, and all the other weird shit that nobody else wanted to deal with. He took it as a point of pride Mm -hmm. that he was saddled with the secrets of the UK government, but little did he know, the rest of the government viewed him as a diaper boy. (laughs) I do believe they gave him all of the shit that they didn't want to deal with, but Nick Pope, as as we have all done many times in the past and will continue to do, you flip and reverse it. Being like, I'll take your poo poo diaper. You call me diaper boy? Guess what? I'll sit in my shit for 12 hours. I'm great at it. I love it. Absolutely. Like an angry female astronaut on the way to kill her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> well, the other person involved in this story who has a large amount of credibility is U.S. military colonel Charles Halt. He was the deputy base commander of one of the two military bases involved in the Rendlesham Forest incident and has gone on record multiple times as being a skeptic turned believer. Awesome. Those are the best when they're skeptical and then they come to believe. Yep. J. Allen Hynek. J. Allen Hynek was like that. Stanton Friedman was like that. Mm -hmm. All of the people that are like the most down-to-earth, grounded, quote-unquote, grounded UFO experts in the entire field, normally they came at the subject looking to debunk it. Right, right. And now they found themselves with the overwhelming waves of evidence being like, oh, well, now now I've actually, I am just a ufologist and my family has left me. <laughs> <laughs> 
so there are a lot of military people involved here. It's nothing it, but military is people that, involved. Yes. Is, is this the I mean obviously that has to make it so that's why it's so credible mm-hmm. I suppose. Yes. But is this is this uh, does this case involve more military people than any other case that we've covered so far? If from oh so what we've covered yes, yes okay. for definite uh, besides I'd say the Hudson Valley Triangle which actually got a lot of attention and when we talked about the Phoenix Lights briefly that also got quite a bit of attention uh, from the military but this story is that's the reason why for me this is one of the most interesting compelling the because the, the, because of the witnesses involved right these right. people for the most part their jobs are to observe right awesome cool yeah but the fact that it does involve almost exclusively military people is what also makes this so frustrating. Oh. Yeah. Because Pope, Halt, and the other witnesses to this incident fully admit that they have more information than what they're legally allowed to share with the public because a lot of the information surrounding the incident is still classified. Oh. And this is ultimately frustrating because they do know the answers to some of the questions that crop up when it comes to the story. But both the law and their own personal honor uh-huh. prevent them from sharing those missing pieces of the puzzle. Also because, Marcus, bullets are cheap. Remember that? <laughs> We're going to cover that, that a lot in the second episode. <laughs> bullets are cheap, which should be the opposite. That's an old Chris Rock bit is that you should make the bullets expensive. Yeah, I've, I've heard <laughs> that. You know what I think they should do instead of making the bullets expensive? Make them the size of a gun. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and then, and then you just throw them like a loaf of bread at people. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the questions, what were some of the questions? Like, uh, Mr. Military Man, do they have two penises? Do the aliens have two penises? Or um, As a matter of fact, that is uh, classified information. But let's just say they don't not have two penises. <laughs> oh. Quink, 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 quink. Which is also wonder why human beings are born with two nostrils. Oh, sir, that is not a vagina, sir. (laughs) Alien, I am a male species. The vagina of a man is in the nose. (laughs) Everybody wants sex up the butthole. But I'll tell you what, the real clit is behind the sinuses. (laughs) Fuck me in the brain, I say. (laughs) So, uh, so gross. But before we get into the nights in question, it's important to know exactly how important the area around Rendlesham Forest in England was to both the U.S. military and to the NATO defense system at large. This, to me, is the biggest, like, the biggest ringing bell, the biggest swinging tits of this whole story. (laughs) It's just how important these two twin bases were to the U.S. and the U.K. government, which is why in the end, which we come to the second episode, the idea that uh, any of this being a prank or any of this being being taken very lightly, I think is ludicrous because <laughs> this place was highly top secret. Interesting. Now I cannot think about... Thinking about the Liberty Bell, but if it was just two swinging tits instead of <laughs> a bell, I think about. Like, they cracked our swinging tits. And then mm-hmm. what a world that would be. <laughs> from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home 
We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, before this area came to be a home for the U.S. Air Force during the Cold War, this area of Suffolk was home to the discovery of one of the most important military technologies of modern times, hmm. radar. Oh. Now, I didn't know this personally, but radar was actually discovered on accident. Their original aim with the project was to focus radio waves into a death ray that could <laughs> shoot German planes out of the sky in the lead up to World War II. That's fucking sweet. <laughs> you imagine them just up there just being like, oh, what is happening? Fish my seat. Have I, oh, have I shied my pants? Have I shied my pants? Oh, why is my so warm? Oh, I put the seat warmers on. That must be it. Wait, no. It's a death ray. No. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> but what they found instead at Bodsey Manor was that those radio waves could be used to detect aircraft. And once that was discovered, the Brits gained a key advantage over the Jerry's when the Nazis came flying over the English Channel. Mm. Eventually, though, the radar technology was taken over by us Americans and evolved into a long-distance radar system codenamed Cobra Mist. Yeah, dude. I remember that axe flavor. <laughs> Cobra Mist? Cobra Mist. They gotta get yeah. more artistically minded people in the military again. That Dude, is man, Cobra awesome. Mist rules. Yeah. That's awesome. You're just like walking through the Can you imagine that? And you're like, oh, there's a fog rolling in and there's thousands of floating snakes. <laughs> <laughs> now all this talk of radar may seem inconsequential at first glance. But 
when you take into account that many of the most credible UFO sightings in history have occurred around military bases or were witnessed by military personnel, it starts to make a bit more sense. Mm -hmm. Now, Henry might have a bit of a different opinion here, but I think that if actual nuts and bolts UFOs are coming to visit the Earth from wherever, whether it be another planet or another dimension, then it would make the most sense for them to scope out our military. Mm -hmm. I actually have the opposite. I have the totally, I have the totally same opinion. I believe that, of course, because if they, if they are nuts and bolts UFOs, because that's kind of what this episode is a little bit about, right? Especially, especially episode one of this series mm -hmm. is if these are actual crafts that arrive from a different part of the solar system or another solar system or for another universe through a wormhole, why would they not? show up and go straight to where our fucking planes are. They would show up to where the other things that buzz around, that do the kind of shit, because especially, what if again, one weird alternative theory is that the ships themselves are aliens. That they're literally going to meet their friends on this planet. They literally show up to see the other top secret planes. I mean, this is a great Pixar movie. Yeah, I was about but to say, this is, just the, this is just cars. Maybe. <laughs> but maybe it's real. If, it, if cars was real, then that's, that's that version of the story. Then they show up, because also maybe they're looking to fuck. Maybe. Some of these things are fucking hot. Our stealth bomber, that's kind of sexy, right? You yeah. can see, like, when people Aww. fuck objects here, and, and because their wires are crisscrossed, and, and for some reason their DNA doesn't want them to breed, so uh -huh. they fall in love with the bridge. What if it's the same thing like that, but yeah. the UFOs actually can try to breed? With our planes. That, I'm not just saying they're horny for our planes. That's just <laughs> right. one idea I have. But then I have a more wooey-woo idea that I'm going to save. Okay, you have a more wooey-wooey idea than that these UFOs are trying to have sex with our planes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, I do, that's science. That's undiscovered science is what I'm talking I about. I see. I do think it would be cute to see a montage of the UFOs coming down and then like meeting up around like Epcot Center oh. and then going on it the rides, <laughs> wearing little Mickey Mouse hats. And then they're back over at the, like, let's say, like, the Port Orleans. And the one jet's back on, it's like, it's, it's back on there. And the UFO pulls out its tube, right, with its fucking, and it sticks its tube into the, the you know, like, to fill her up. Got to fill her up. Sure. Just, pulls that, out the tube that's and shoots the opening flute. credits to Dr. Strangelove. I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying, what if it's real? What if it's real? <laughs> I don't know how we've gotten here, but I like it. Well, the Rendlesham Forest area makes even more sense once you get to the Cold War. See, this area was home to not one, but two military bases, Bentwaters and Woodbridge. And these two bases were separated by a few hundred yards of forest. Rendlesham Forest. Ooh, cool. And it was thick. Yeah. It was as thick as the bush hairs on a duke over there. <laughs> a duke? Like, a, like the Duke of York? Yes. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was quite You confused. know that they don't trim. They don't manscape. No. No, no, no definitely no, no, no. not. It's a point of pride for them to keep that bush hair long and frustrated. Uh. <laughs> frustrated bush hair. I don't, Marcus, continue with the story. I can't keep on animating inanimate things. I was, again, thinking about bush hairs all tangled up and be like, so... How'd we get here? <laughs> How'd we get here? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bentwaters and Woodbridge were both United States military bases, and the Brits have never been all that keen on our decades-long military presence in their country. <sighs> According to Nick Pope, the post-World War II British joke was that American soldiers were overpaid, oversexed, and over here. 
Meaning oh. England. I know. Oh. It's just, honestly, oh, Mr. Okay. Mr. I got mad. I just got mad for a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know what? The U.S. soldiers, they had a comeback. What was that? This is what they called the Brits. Quote, underpaid, undersexed, and under Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, to, to get hammered over in a saloon with those kind of funny guys. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I wouldn't even know what military to choose. All the humor is so good. <laughs> My gosh, you're gonna choose Air Force guys. You got to. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. They're very fun. Surprisingly hammered. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. drink a lot. <laughs> Who yeah, does they got drink a lot of the machines for, to do it. For our military uh, listeners out there, the Navy. The Army or the Air Force? Who drinks the most? Oh, I my would God. assume it's the Navy. Are we doing crowd work at a USO show? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, we haven't Soon. made that. We haven't made it yet. But when it came to being stationed at Rendlesham Forest, Americans didn't necessarily enjoy that particular posting because it had a long-standing reputation for being creepy, sinister, and overall just kind of depressing. The, the well, forest. This- yeah, the okay. forest. The whole the well, whole area of England. Interesting. I believe the term was East Anglia was where they were at, which <clears> was <throat> this this area of uh, the United Kingdom, which is about 60 miles northeast of London on the beach. Now, when you hear this concept of like, man, we're stationed on the beach, that's got to be fucking killer. You know, right, we're, right. we're crushing natty lights, we're out there surfing like it's apocalypse now and all this shit. But this was a British beach, which meant that the sand was gray, and um, I want to say it was filled with eels. It is a, it it is a gross-ass, gray-as-fuck beach Aww. that was a purposefully put out into a remote area of the UK where they were not vacationing. Okay, so these guys weren't having a great time out there. No, they weren't. But the Woodbridge and Bentwaters bases were horribly important in a strategic sense when it came to the Cold War between America and Russia. Mm. And for those of you not well versed in Cold War history, when it came to Europe, you had two coalitions. You had NATO, led by the United States, because we were the only country who weren't blown to hell in World War II. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we did it. We, we did. We, we were further we, away we did it. than they were. <laughs> <laughs> and you had the Warsaw Pact nations controlled by the Soviet Union. Now, if those Warsaw Pact countries like Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, or Poland decided to follow the orders of the Soviet Union and invade Western Europe by ground, they were going to need backup. And that is where Bentwaters and Woodbridge came in. Located on the eastern coast of England, both bases were fully stocked with American A-10 warthogs, which could be called in to blow Soviet ground forces to hell from above, just like they later did in the Gulf War. Warthog is a very nice uh, name for a large military vehicle. Horrible name for a high school kid. (laughs) Horrible name. Unless, again, you own it and you're, like, on the offensive line for the yeah, football that's team. that's true. That's what you got to do. Again, always flip it and reverse it. It was actually in an area called Suffolk. It's, I think it's pronounced Suffolk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also did think about the Polish. Uh, they're like, oh, it's going to be a ground war, and then just, them just driving their planes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Polish also then released their their army of evil toys, oh. like an evil jack-in-the-box and a, and a really sharp slinky that come rolling through the... Which, uh. in the in, on, as a visual, is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, um, is easily destroyed by something the likes of a fire extinguisher. Yeah, that's all right. I'm sure we have like a Polish 
scientist who listens to us and really doesn't like being yeah. mocked. So the Polish people are very smart, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we really can be. We're yeah. very able people. We're survivors. Yeah. Is yeah. what we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Beyonce. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. I always think of Beyonce and then immediately the Polish. Just put my butt next to Beyonce's and you see the true meaning of being Polish. <laughs> <laughs> but... The Bentwaters and Woodbridge bases may have been hiding something much more powerful than mere warthogs. <laughs> See, it is the policy of the United Kingdom to neither confirm nor deny allegations as to where nuclear weapons were stored in country. Mm. And that was definitely the case when it came to the question of nuclear weapons at Rendlesham. But... Listen to this quote from Lord Peter Hill Norton, a former UK chief of defense staff and chair of the NATO military committee. This is what he wrote concerning the Rendlesham incident. All right. My position, both privately and publicly expressed over the last dozen years or more, is that there are only two possibilities. Either, A, an intrusion into our airspace and a landing by unidentified craft took place at Rendlesham, as described, or B, the deputy commander of an operational nuclear-armed U.S. Air Force base in England and a large number of his enlisted men are either hallucinating or lying. But basically what he is saying is, is this place was a little bit more important than anybody would like to let on because it might have held a cache of over 500 nuclear bombs that were going to be our first wave attack against the Soviets. So the idea that these people on this base, right. either one of these bases or a bunch of yahoos, is, uh, is, like, is highly slim to none. So, by this slip of the hand, and from evidence we'll cover later, we can infer that there most likely were indeed large amounts of nuclear weapons wow. at either Woodbridge, Bentwaters, or both. Cool! And that brings us to another point about the locations of UFO sightings and why they appear in the places that they do. Now, some people posit that it is not a coincidence that the UFO sighting explosion coincided with the splitting of the atom. Huh. The hypothesis is that when humanity discovered nuclear energy, we entered a higher echelon of scientific knowledge and therefore merited more attention. Just like humans would pay more attention to monkeys if they suddenly learned how to drive. Monkey Uber? I think we've actually talked about Monkey Uber before. I swear I think, to God I'm, we have. I'm pretty certain we have. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. If you showed up and your Uber driver, just the monkey in there, and he's like, <laughs> like points to the back of the car, you know. I'd be like, I don't even even go anywhere. Just cruise, buddy. just <laughs> ride. We're just gonna my put man. on the radio. I'm gonna sit in the front seat. I'm gonna share my. You mean ever gonna hit a vape together and just have a fun afternoon? Uh, but Absolutely. That's been the ongoing theory. His reason why UFO sightings have shot up since the 1940s is that when we split the atom, right. they now realize that we can start to manipulate our mm -hmm. environment on a quantum level. That that's kind of the first steps towards a essentially cosmic travel, towards true understanding of the nature of reality, mm -hmm. all yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> and also, um, they know for a fact that we're a bunch of really angry, territory-obsessed monkeys, and that we will probably destroy ourselves before achieving anything the likes that they have achieved. Right. This is all, again, this is fully nuts and bolts UFO shit, which I'm not fully sold on, but I also, this is the idea, yeah. that if they, they, they them showing up as our intergalactic babysitters. And maybe a correlation between all the video footage, right, and the advancement of 
technology and stuff like that also maybe perhaps possibly but possibly. the 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 biggest sighting like the uh, largest swaths of sightings uh happened before video technology okay. really became uh as ubiquitous as it is now cool and you say how convenient but partially it's also maybe because of that fact yeah. They do not want to be videotaped. Okay. Yeah. Now, the skeptics say that when we split the atom, it just opened our imagination to new and more terrifying possibilities, and that, combined with Cold War paranoia, produced the large number of sightings seen in the 50s onward, mm. essentially sure. saying that our imaginations just kind of ran away from us. Sure. Or, and that feeds into my psychic principle, which is the idea that we helped create them, because mm-hmm. it did expand our imagination. It's supposed to expand our imagination, and that's what it did, and that's actually going to help us in the long run. Yeah, and granted, most UFO sightings are definitely either misidentifications or outright lies. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't explain why UFOs are drawn to places either housing nuclear weapons or places powered by nuclear energy. Nor Mm. does it explain why these sightings are so goddamn dramatic. This is another reason that we should invest in nuclear energy in order to avoid foreign wars and protect our environment. We could have UFOs overhead constantly, <laughs> and that would be so fun. Yeah, man. We just put a couple of naked girls out there, a couple of naked dudes, see what they choose, man. Just out there, just like dancing around the nuclear bombs, UFOs dancing back and forth. You got some fucking DJ Jazzy Jeff going, man. That's just the middle. That's just the end of the first act of Independence Day. <laughs> yes. I want that. <laughs> what if it's real? What if that's that was real. <laughs> it was a unique idea, Marcus. <laughs> well, we've covered one of these nuclear buzzes briefly in the past. During the Hudson Valley UFO incident in 1984, a gigantic diamond-shaped UFO swooped the Indian Point nuclear power plant near Peekskill, New York, for about 15 minutes, hovering above the exhaust funnel of one of the plant's three reactors. Mm. And according to employees who later talked, the plant's security systems and communication systems all shut down for the time that the UFO was above it. It's crazy. But right before security guards opened fire with fucking shotguns of all weapons, (laughs) the most useless possible long-range weapon you could find. It didn't even kill Dick Cheney's friend. (laughs) It didn't even kill me. I got shot with a shotgun when I was like 10. And it was from so far, definitely closer than the UFO was. Hey, buddy, I know. I play in Division 2. I accidentally switched to my sniper rifle with a shotgun. Horrible decision. <laughs> Immediately dead. But I just love the immediate power of a shotgun. It's why I also like crossbows. Like get on your hip and just fucking blam and things explode, man. It's fucking awesome. True. But anyway, when the, right before they were about to open fire, the UFO flew away and everything returned to normal. Okay. Bye bye, nerds. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> and this hadn't been the first time something like this happened on U.S. soil. In 1973, a large glowing object was seen hovering above the Manzano Nuclear Weapons Inspection Facility in New Mexico. A book to read is called Need to Know by <clears throat> Timothy Good that has an incredible breakdown of military UFO sightings over the last 50 years. And this is one that is that's just a little snippet of this mm-hmm. fucking glowing object that showed up and and it just it hovers. It showed up and they watch it zap a beam where the weapons were. And same thing up the several ICBM uh, tours. They talk about the original testings of several ICBMs. They uh. would shoot up the ICBM and then a fucking sphere would catch up to speed next to it, do a perfect circle around it, and each cardinal point on the compass, it flashes white, boom, boom, ICBM falls out of the sky. 
That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, about two <clears throat> years after the Manzano incident, a sergeant named Charles L. Moody claimed to have been abducted from Holloman Air Force Base in Alamogordo, New Mexico, where he got rotted by a bunch of thin-lipped grays. Well, it could have been the Russians. <laughs> it could have been the Russians. Um, but you, you. But honestly, for that for that story, you should really read the Need to Know Timothy Good story because it's a really good abduction mini chapter. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, and those incidents don't even cover, like Henry said, the dozens of low level intrusions over intercontinental ballistic missile bases. Now, what you might be asking here, though, is why does this seem to happen mostly to Americans? Right. Huh. Even Rendlesham, to bring it back to our original subject, happened to Americans near American military bases, despite the location of said bases being on British soil. Hmm. Now, the more cynical might say that Americans are just a gullible people, or, at the very least, more fanciful. <laughs> okay, could be. Could and, be. All right, and okay. granted, we can be. We can sure. be a very, very gullible people. Yeah, kind of. And our imaginations can run away with us. That's why we produce some of the best entertainment in the world. Absolutely, that's what the we're best. good at. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, we make the best. We make the best entertainment in the world, and um, sometimes we make massive mistakes <laughs> when it comes to governing <laughs> governing the country. I mean, yeah, we just do sure. massive, horrible things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. we follow our imagination. Yeah. yeah, but it could also be. That whatever it is that controls these UFOs is more interested in us because we were the first ones to split the fucking atom. USA! 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 We stole it from the Germans. USA! 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 No, we did not. We did not! No, 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 We did not. We got help. We got help from the Germans. But that's the... You know, and I did think about that because it's... The aliens aren't going to be paying attention to individual tiny little things. They're going to be paying attention to which government produced it. Nice. And that makes Americans both the most innovative and the most dangerous creatures on Earth. Woo! (laughs) All right! All right! That's my whip crack! Whip crack! Yeah. I mean, yeah, Einstein, I mean, there were definitely Germans involved in it, but mostly it was the Germans that took us to the moon. By the time the Germans got over here, uh, World War II was already done. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thanks for taking us to the moon, anyway. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Von Braun. (laughs) Yeah, because on the moon, there is no juice. Oh, that's not right. What was that? The director of the NASA? Nothing. (laughs) Uh You're lucky we're good at forgetting. Also, I'm fairly certain there's some anti-Semitic websites who believe that uh, Jewish individuals come from the moon. It's um, very interesting. How so I don't know if it's that's... It's like all nonsense is nonsense. Right. You know what I mean? And it also might not be a coincidence that New Mexico seems to be lousy with UFO sightings and abductions. Because... New Mexico was the site of the very first atomic bomb detonation, the Trinity Blast. Oh, yeah. Cool. I really love Detective Comics Marcus Parks. That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite is when he actually does. Like, Because it's true. I honestly, this really does. Again, it's interesting. we're really laying out the the yellow bricks of the nuts and bolts UFO road right this is the this is the, the, <clears throat> these are what the the core beliefs are if that's the nature of the phenomenon all right yeah. cool so with that in mind let's get into the stories of the sightings at Rendlesham Forest and before we do it real quick i know we have a lot of Rendlesham heads out there that are listening to the show just know <laughs> what we're trying to do here is we're going to lay out the facts as we know from Pennison's notebook 
and the because if if you don't know, then all of this is fucking garbage too. Penitence Snow's book <laughs> and Holt's recordings. We're going through all of this, but know that there are many side quests yes. in this little story that we will be covering in next episode. All right, yeah. Imagine you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, Your spray tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. Now, while a lot of people witnessed UFOs in the skies on those two nights, there are two dudes who actually saw this thing up close. John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, both solid career Air Force men at the time of the sighting. John Burroughs was an airman first class and eventually served in the Air Force for 27 years. Penniston was a senior security officer in charge of day-to-day base security, responsible for the war fighting resources on the base. These guys were not low-level grunts. They were not wow. jeep drivers. These guys were in charge of some big top-level shit. So... On the night of December 26, 1980, John Burroughs saw strange red and blue lights in Rendlesham Forest outside the walls of the base while patrolling the east gate of Woodbridge. Hmm. Now, this is fucking creepy because Rendlesham Forest is thick as shit. And so they're just out there. It's cold as fuck. It's mm-hmm. Christmas. Everybody, all the regular maintenance people are off, right? So the, hmm. the, the bases are half full. And they're just out there waiting and they just see like these fucking two ghostly lights just out in the fucking forest. And they have to fucking call it in. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Okay. Now, considering how the lights were on top of each other and were flashing on and off, it was thought that it was possible that an aircraft had crashed out the forest Mm. so the report was run through the proper channels it first went to staff sergeant bud steffens yeah yeah i can't get hard but my hands are hard (laughs) (laughs) bud steffens contacted sergeant crash mccabe bud and crash are they a tag team i literally cannot drive 55 <laughs> unfortunately because i have had my license taken away from me due to the nature of my drinking problem uh-huh. okay still still can fly though that's good and crash mccabe got a hold of staff sergeant john coffee okay like the drink uh-huh. but not spelled the same <laughs> and john coffee ran it up to the on-duty flight chief at woodbridge Staff Sergeant Jim Penniston. All right. Now, it's important for you to know that because that's what's hard with all of these books, especially with Encounter at Rendlesham Forest, is that they really try to dot the I's across the T's of every single bit of the military data so that you can know as a true UFO nerd <clears> that they <throat> have made sure that they, they documented every single bit of the communication because this is how many people have to go through just to go check out these lights. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have to okay it with everybody. Yeah. Sure. And that's when Penniston figured he'd better check on this thing himself. 
So, Penniston headed out to the East Gate with his driver, Airman First Class, Edward Cabinsag. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, that's like a, I don't know how to pronounce that name. I think it's Because I, I mean, believe it's Thai. Yeah, cabin, cabin sag. Cabin sag? Cabin sag. All right, all right, it's fine. Cabin sag. I like it. Yeah. But when they got there, Bud Steffens made a strange remark Hmm. about the light. So, so they've arrived at the light. At the, no, they've arrived at the east gate. At the east they're gate. They're arrived at the okay. east gate. They just watch these lights there. They have been watching it for a small period of time. Okay. Yeah. See. Yeah. And see, I don't know why I turned into Spanish. Yes. <laughs> I see. I, I've been watching um, Highly Questionable on ESPN, and it's a, they say see or no. Oh, well. Bud Steffens made this remark. He said, quote, It didn't crash. It landed. <sighs> oh, my God. This is like a movie. Yeah. And at the same time, somebody over in the control tower checked the radar and placed calls to other Air Force bases in the area, in addition to Heathrow Airport in London, about 100 miles away, to find out if they saw anything. It turned out a bogey had been tracked about 15 minutes before the lights out in the forest were seen, but the target had disappeared from radar screens directly over Woodbridge. Whoa! Yeah, it, it showed up on the radar, and the first thing they saw was the cigar smoke. And then it said verbatim, it's looking at you, kid. <laughs> and then it disappeared. <laughs> That's bogey. Uh, hum- Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey, Humphrey no, Bogart. I mean, it's another, it's it's another a- joke that no one will get. I mean, we didn't even get it. Yeah, it's, but it, I like it. I mean, I, <laughs> but I also like it. I paused yeah. to go through what it could possibly be. Yeah. And See? then eventually realized... That it's a joke that Ed Asner would have made. Yeah, and Ed Asner. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, he's he's one a of the good ones. Bogey means an unidentified radio object. <laughs> okay, very cool. All right, got it. Love it. Here's looking at you, Bogey. <laughs> and so, with that in mind. Penniston, Burroughs, and another guy named Master Sergeant Chandler started to make their way into the forest to see what they could see, while the driver, Cabin Sag, hung back. Did Chandler bring his duck? <laughs> what? I'm full of jokes. Today is two jokes. I don't even know. I don't know what that joke means. It's friends. It's a friends reference. Ben is full of beans today. Oh, wow. I'm full of beans today. I mean, I'm going to wow. get some hate mail for this. <laughs> But as they were approaching the lights in the forest, all four of their radios started to malfunction as if something was interfering with their communications. So in order to relay messages back to the base, Chandler returned to cabin sag at the Jeep. Huh. So now it was down to just Burroughs and Penniston. Okay. They walked further into the dark forest towards the light coming through the trees, but they said the air changed as they drew closer. They said it felt as if the air was crackling with static electricity and the hairs on their arms were standing on end. Then it became difficult to walk normally because their legs felt like they were wading through deep water. Wow. I watched a slide presentation of Jim Penniston from 2019 because he has a new book coming out called The Rendlesham Enigma. And he, I was watching this presentation of his, but he was talking about it and he tried to show. He's like, and I'll show you right now. It was difficult for me to walk. It was like walking through soup. And he tried to show. He's like, because it's not like now how I can lift my knees. And he lifted his leg up maybe an inch. <laughs> It's like, it was difficult for me to lift my knees. And they could see I was struggling, wading through the soup. Interesting. But now they weren't walking through water. They weren't walking through anything. It was just normal ground. Just walking through the forest. Wow. 
Then finally, they came to the source of light in a small clearing. When they walked towards the object, they said they were blinded by a silent, sudden explosion of light. Both men instinctively hit the ground, but when they felt no debris and heard no debris falling, they stood back up. By the reports of Jim Penniston, they were faced with a small triangular metal craft about nine feet tall by nine feet wide, resting on three legs, kind of like how the lunar landing module looked. Cool. And the way they described it is it had rounded edges, right? It had this, and he said he, it had a dorsal fin and it had two wings. And he looked at it and he said the, one of the weirdest things about it is that it was coursing with what he called globular light. He said it's the only way to, he's trying to describe what it looked like. He said hmm. may, the closest that you could call it is like a lava lamp. Huh. Was that the the actual outsides of it had blue and red and yellow float like f- kind of floating through it like it was a glass filled with liquid? Was it tangible? The was the was it actually a, a tangible light? Okay, we'll get into that. Now, on the side was a bank of blue lights, and on top was a bright white light. But as we hear again and again with UFO sightings, it made no sound whatsoever. Hmm. But Penniston was curious. So he walked closer. When retelling the story, Penniston refers to the area immediately around the UFO as the bubble field. He said that once he entered it, all ambient noise ceased to exist, as if the air around him was dead and the static electricity got stronger. He said he tried to turn and yell for John Burroughs, who was only about 10 feet behind him, but he found that John was standing motionless and didn't react to his calls in any way whatsoever hmm. straight up burroughs was just standing and staring at this object <clears throat> as the lights were bouncing off of him penniston turns back and he says the only way to describe it is that he felt the thing calm down like it was the light slowed until it became a black object and now what he said in his mind at the time was that i'm just about to die this is a weapon whatever this is he's like this is obviously not a crash he calls in. He have to change the parameters to helping hands, and the term helping hands over that that time period, which is there's something that is about to affect the safety and the uh, I believe the working quality of the base. Something right. that term was like this is going to fuck us up. This is a weapon, but he wasn't sure if the radio was getting through, so he pulled out his notebook and started making notes, and then approached the vehicle because he was like, if I'm going to die, I need to document this. Uh, helping hands also sounds like the off menu at a massage parlor. <laughs> like, I'll have the helping hands, please. So once Penniston got near the object, he saw strange symbols etched on the side, which were totally unrecognizable, apart from a passing resemblance to Egyptian hieroglyphs. Wow, cool. He said he felt relieved when he saw the symbols, because he's like, okay, this is something. Yeah. For now, I think, for a second, he's like, I'm going insane. Right. When he saw the symbols, he's like... All right, now this has to come from somewhere then. Yeah. Right. And it's also not a bomb if they put symbols on the side. You should look at, did you see any of these symbols, Kessel? No, I actually didn't see any of those. It's pretty fucking cool. Awesome. I mean, it's alien writing. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Then Penniston decided to actually touch the damn thing. (gasps) He said the surface felt hard and smooth like running your hand over glass, but the symbols were rough like sandpaper. But when Penniston touched the symbols, the white light on top of the craft became so bright that Penniston was temporarily blinded. And when he took his hand back, the light dimmed once more. Cool. 
then Peniston just kind of stood there for a while, like taking it all in, yeah. making sketches, doing sketches of fucking everything, like trying to document what was happening. By then he realized that he wasn't going to die. Yeah. Is he was I like, see. all right, well, I'm not going to die. So now I really have to do it. So he paced the whole thing. He's just like, he does his whole like tall man math where he was like, I'm six foot three. I've got a three and a half foot stride. I did three strides each. Uh, that's as exact as it gets, folks. And the whole MUFON audience is like, <laughs> that <laughs> is. Yes. So he literally set up an easel, put up a little uh, canvas, and started painting like Bob Ross. Yeah, just trying to see. Like, he had a little uh, police notebook that's, that he carried around okay. with him always. And he was like, yeah, and a pencil, and he just sketched all of it down. Interesting. And finally, though, the craft slowly began to lift off the ground, and everything felt as if it was moving in slow motion. Then, after about two to three minutes, the craft finally rose above the trees. Then, once it had cleared the trees without making any sound whatsoever, it flew away at an impossible speed. In fact, this is the note Penniston made in his notebook. Quote, Speed? Impossible. Impossible speed. (laughs) I mean, that's Speed 4. That's a great name for the movie. That's awesome. Impossible Speed. (laughs) Speed Impossible. Impossible. Ooh, I like that. Very cool. But here's the strange thing. Remember, John Burroughs was standing only 10 feet behind Jim Penniston, but he remembers the incident completely differently, although he still maintains that he saw something. Burroughs claimed that after the initial blinding flash of light came, he hit the ground and saw a red oval sun-like object in the clearing. He saw no craft whatsoever. Huh. And instead of the close encounters experience had by Penniston, Burroughs said his experience lasted only a few seconds. Strange. Or at least, that's what he claimed later. Oh. Yeah. When he gave his original statement about the incident 72 hours afterward, he included a sketch of the craft... That looked a hell of a lot like Penniston's. So he was sketching also? From his uh, recollection. Okay. From his memory, yes. Oh, I see. From his memory. Okay. Although he may have just been going along to get along. Which is difficult because Penniston, which we'll talk about, Penniston took full weight of talking to the superiors. Okay. So he said, when they were all freaking out afterwards, they were all like, what are we going to say to our bosses? And he's like, you're not going to say anything. I'm going to say something. Okay. So the, he, he went forward and, and took all the blame. So I don't know if going along to get along even works for that because he already was to blame. Like they were, they were, it was already now, on Tennyson. What, they didn't the need to back here? him up. But what's he being blamed well, just, for? Just, just, just seeing something? Just calling him crazy. Right, yeah, call right. Him crazy. Sure. But this... This story, it's its very, very interesting. We'll talk about this. This is where it gets woo-wee-woo. Okay. Where's the idea of being like, what happens if our brain is an operating system and an entity is like a program that shows up in front of you? What if it's like a thing and that you interpret it the way you interpret it and everybody's seeing shit and feeling shit? Yeah, couldn't you? I, I mean, I could see my brain just totally shutting down. Yeah. Like yes. when you see something that like what oftentimes they say when you have a extreme trauma, like when your bone pops through the skin, like what happened with Paul George, you your brain literally shuts off and you're like, you can't remember this because this really is too much for you to handle. Shock. Shock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolute shock. And, you know, to take it even further uh, with what Henry said about the operating system, you know, if our brain is an operating system and these things are programs. You know, you can't run, say, a Mac program on a PC. Can't run a PC program on a Mac. So uh, some brains are able to run these programs. Others 
are not. Interesting. And this is obviously a last podcast theory and, and other people's theories as well uh, that believe this about the psychic nature of UFOs. So take that as you will. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know there are going to be people that are going to roll their eyes and say whatever about the operating system conversation. No, it makes sense. Yeah, there, are plenty, there are plenty of people out there that are just, just fine with believing the humans are just a bunch of walking shit bags oh. walking around going, bleh, 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 and people and all that, but you know what? <laughs> Some of us like to be curious about the mysteries of the universe. You're very yes. good. Some of us think that there might be a little bit more out there. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. I don't juice. know why you guys have made yourself defensive. Because <laughs> there is we no one because listening called- nor out there that is just like we we better go give these guys a wedgie immediately. It is a disease that ufologists get. You just become, you just slowly, no matter, it's like you talk in a conversational tone, and all of a sudden it says, you think you know me? You think you know, you do, you better do the reading. You come at me, you do the reading. I think what it comes from is, you know, because I like to look at both sides, and I type in the incident, and then I type in skeptic, and uh. the people who write uh, skeptical responses to UFO incidents uh, are the snottiest people on earth. Uh, and because they always they, they're very fond of the phrase so much for that no Henry said the snottiest people on earth were the British no 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 but that's physically snotty uh, not emotionally snotty well either way depending on you know but no matter what Peniston Star or what Burroughs saw both men said that they saw a light above them after the flash awesome flying around and it eventually flew away over the coast out east then they looked down at the ground and found that there were three indentations where the craft had been. Now remember, this was December, so the ground was frozen solid, but the indentations were deep enough where it was obvious something very heavy had been resting there. Huh. And those three indentations formed a near-perfect equilateral triangle. Cool. Furthermore, branches had been snapped off from the trees on the edges of the clearing where the craft had landed and taken off, including branches from way up high. Yeah, and there's tree rubbins. Yeah. That's the term I kept seeing was tree rubbins. Yeah. Tree rubbins. Tree rubbins. Okay. In other words, if they're telling the truth, some real weird shit had just happened. Yeah. But what was really weird was what they discovered when they returned to Cabin Sag and Chandler. By the reckoning of Burroughs, Penniston, and their watches, they'd only been out of radio contact for five, maybe ten minutes. Hmm. But in reality, they'd been gone 45 minutes. Whoa! Yep. And what was more, both of their watches were running 45 minutes slow. Yep. That is crazy. So we have lost time. We have lost time. Yep. And not just lost time, but time that is manipulated mechanics. What? So we have the actual touching of a spacecraft, scene of a spacecraft, drawings of a spacecraft, lost time. I mean, yes. this is this is pretty much everything you need. This is what we love. Yeah. This is why we're covering this case. Cool. It's because it's, it literally this is this is the this was the weirder shit because they came back just being like, why are you like acting like they were literally just sitting in the truck like they had been gone for forty five minutes. They're like, we just left. 
And they're like, no, you were gone for almost an hour. Wow. Yeah, and they'd also been calling back to the base and because the base was checking up on them and saying like, like where uh, the hell are these guys? And they say right. they, they're in current investigation. They're trying to push off the bosses because the bosses are like, what the fuck's happening? Because mm-hmm. they'd have to scramble more people if there's a real emergency. Right. Or if they died. Right, right. And furthermore... When these guys were debriefed, they found they weren't the only ones who saw weird shit that night. Now, some say that what the witnesses outside of Peniston and Burroughs saw that night was actually the breakup of a Russian satellite or a meteor shower. And both are on record for having occurred that night in the south of England. Well, how would it go back up to, into the sky, though? Well, that's the thing. Well, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm just, I don't know. Huh? It's the thing is that it's possible that that is what some of the people saw. Some of the people who reported seeing things in the sky that night probably saw a meteor shower or they saw the breakup of the Russian satellite. But that doesn't explain what Peniston and Burroughs experienced. Right. Nor does it explain the lights inside the forest that they went to go investigate in the first place. Mm. Nor does it explain the bogey on the radar. And where was Lauren Bacall? <laughs> well, that's, that's a question we could ask every second of every day. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, it is, it's interesting. Yeah. Because a part of it comes from the misdating that Peniston did on his notebook. That he said that was a true mistake, and others say was purposeful. Uh, he was lying, saying that he was essentially lying about the entire thing, huh. which is weird. But I feel like maybe it might have been a mistake. I don't know. But that's because on the... Night in question, the 26th, was the night all this happening, was when these two other uh, aerial phenomena were also happening. When it, and the 27th, it was not. When it comes to him lying, I guess everyone will be like, did he make a lot of money? Did he get famous? Was his career, and I'm sure we'll cover this, but was his career helped by this? Did he make <laughs> money with this? Or is it like more traditional? No. It's, total- highly, it's highly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that kind of debunks the idea that maybe he wanted to benefit from it financially. No. Okay. No. And furthermore, there was another actual incident that night that wasn't just lights in the sky. Two more personnel reported lights in the forest. And when they went out to investigate, a white light had engulfed their Jeep, and the Jeep completely stalled out, and they couldn't get it to start again. Wow. Now, what's interesting about this incident is that for jurisdictional and legal reasons, the Americans were required to notify British authorities that they were going off base to investigate a possible crash. Interesting. Now, while you'd think they'd be calling the British military or some such, who they actually called in this situation when they left the base was the local cops. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're going to take the billy clubs to it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Local constable. Yeah, exactly. And here's what the local police wrote in their logs as to what happened that night. Quote, We have had a call from the LA at Bentwaters in reference to the UFO reported last night. We have found a place where a craft of some sort seems to have landed. Oh, I do feel like he's got a little, like a napkin stuffed into the top of his shirt. They're fun. They're lobster. It sounds like they're always eating lobster. Yeah, or bangers and mash. Ooh, yeah. Mm, I'm actually excited for the UK food. I think I'm going to do beans this time. Do the the full English. I'm actually going to do it. Full English is great. I don't understand It's a good way to start your day just full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's like beans and bread for breakfast. (laughs) Triple B's. And a tomato. And a tomato. Great. 
great. So by the next morning, the whole thing had become a bit of a joke on the base. Already. Yeah, already. Of oh, course. Oh, yeah, dude. All night. Because as soon because they were like, where were they? They were out for an hour chasing UFOs. So everybody's fucking flipping out and having a great time about the, about the shenanigans that happened the night before. Okay. Yeah. And you got to remember, I mean, this is 1980 Air Force Base in England. Like, it is Cold War paranoia. So everyone is both on high alert and extraordinarily bored at the same time. Right, yeah. right, right. And the joke vibe was what Colonel Charles Halt walked into at 5 a.m. when he reported for duty. Now, Sergeant Crash McCabe told Halt that Penniston and Burroughs had been out chasing UFOs all night. Mm. And Halt was actually all about playing the whole thing down. He suggested they use the term unexplained lights in the official report instead of saying UFOs because you didn't want shit to get out of hand. Right. Charles Holt is a very serious human being at this point in time. He has never smiled in a single picture. Right. I've been reading the Halt perspective written by Charles Halt. It's called that the he wrote Halt that perspective. Yes. 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 Sounds like you lost it, a job on Fox News to Bill O'Reilly. I'm pitching a show, the Holt perspective. What is your perspective? I hate my grandson. There's too many Starbucks and the coffee is too brown. And that's the Holt perspective. Uh, Charles Holt wrote a 500-page entire breakdown of UFOs around the Rendlesham Forest. Like, he went completely nuts. But it, 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 you, when you watch, when you read this, ha- what, what happens afterwards, we'll get into more in the second episode. Right. But Charles Holt believes... He truly is the main player of this entire story. So he, but he is also a believer that there was a UFO here. Oh yeah, he became one. Interesting. Yes. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, he became one. And even though, like, kind of the rank and file of the base, they were all treating this as a joke. The higher ups were taking it much more seriously. Really. Almost immediately, documents concerning the incident, specifically security blotters and incident and complaint reports, were pulled and classified as secret by base commander Ted Conrad. All right. What was weird about this was that it completely bypassed Colonel Halt. Colonel Halt should have been involved in these sorts of actions. And as far as he was concerned, the documents had pretty much been stolen from under his nose. Huh. I can literally just see Charles Halt, who's probably about two inches shorter than me just like <laughs> jumping for files that two like other officers are just throwing above him to each other and leaving Aww. and he'd be like that's not fair that's not fair I'm, I'm the one that went down there I went down there and I saw the for myself that's how he sounds it's a very strange accent maybe he's uh, Massachusetts perhaps he's a Bostonian yeah it sounds like yes. it and there was some attempt at investigation but the problem was that the Air Force had no standard operating procedure for the investigation of a ufo incursion on or near a military base that's interesting 1980 i would have thought they would have had some um no, protocol for unidentified it, flying objects we, but we scrapped it in 1969 we stopped officially we stopped officially investigating stop whoosh swish swish quotation marks swish 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 we stopped officially investigating ufos then when we stopped project blue book so ah. all of those the standard operating procedures all that shit has been thrown out Oh, because there's not supposed to be standard operating. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, one dude, Major Edward Drury, thought that the whole thing had been a Christmas prank. 
Oh man, I love Christmas, Christmas pranks. Bro, I never there was one time my cousin Robert did this really funny Christmas prank where he was deployed overseas, right? And he wanted to surprise his family. So he came in and he showed up like he dressed himself in a big box for Christmas, like a big bow on top of it. And the family was like, you know, my cousin's so excited to see him. They right. didn't know, you know what I mean? Like he was coming home for Christmas. And then when he popped out of the box, the problem is that he had some kind of like flashback or something. And he killed his whole family. <laughs> really? And that was like the f- craziest Christmas prank. <laughs> that is. Yeah. I wasn't aware that pranks on Christmas was a thing. I, but I was not aware Christmas pranks were a thing either. Okay. Yeah, man. No, that's you over Christmas. All we do is we dress up as Santa. I break into people's homes. I tell them I'm leaving presents. And then I just shit. I just shit all over the living room. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because your kids were bad. I guess <laughs> so. <laughs> But after debriefing Peniston and Burroughs and hearing that something had come up on radar that night, Drury figured there might be something to this incident. So a bunch of guys went out to the site and took photographs and such, but they kind of figured that was going to be the end of it. But the next night, on December 27th, the UFOs returned. Ooh. Ooh. This is fucking so sweet. This is the best part. Because like, also, it's a Christmas story it's yeah this whole thing is around christmas so it's all this shit like they're literally doing the jingle bells jingle bells jingle bells right. like they have like fucking santa hats on they're all getting fucking hammered on eggnog <laughs> and the shit's going down from your grave. stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from breezeline get reliable fiber-powered internet for just 19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years but that's not all your first month is on us this deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Now the night of the second sighting was set to be a relaxing evening of R&R because that was the night of the Combat Support Group Awards Dinner at an an on-base bar called Woody's that was located naturally on the Woodbridge base. I love it. Oh, my God. That would be so much fun. So much fun. It's kind of cool. They set it up like a little town. It's kind of like like Auschwitz where they set (laughs) up a little town where they lived in. I mean, that's the only thing I can compare it to I know it's the only thing you can compare it to. I don't know if it's the best comparison. I can compare it to, I don't know, the fucking... (laughs) military base that my uncle and his family lived on when I was a kid. It's all military bases like this. They have a bar. They have a PX. They have all kinds of shit. They're all little towns. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) You were correct. I'm not allowed in the military. I have blood clots. (laughs) But just as they were getting into the swing of things that night, Lieutenant Bruce England, who was on duty and sober, Uh came inside looking shaken. He took Colonel Halt aside and told him that the UFO had returned. Oh. And so Halt, 
who was also sober. Uh, well, you're really stressing the sober thing. Are they? You are you to. sure they're you not hammered? To. You have to because okay. that's like, well, you know, they they had a Christmas party that night, so so much for that theory. But no, I, it's like, yeah, they okay. were so, not all of them were blasted. Okay, great. Some of them were. Not all of them were. I actually would trust the drunk person more than the sober person in this because Absolutely the drunk not. person's going to run right up to the plane, tackle it, wrestle <laughs> no. around with it, bring no. it back to the barracks. It doesn't need to be like they're tailgating at a Packers game okay. in order for know. you to, to get substantial evidence about UFOs. You got to be clear-headed. Okay, you to be yeah. annoyingly clear-headed. All yeah. right, yeah. all right. So Halt decided to check it out. First, he assembled a team of sober men and called up Sergeant Monroe Nevels and Master Sergeant Bobby Balls. <laughs> no, wait, never mind. It's, his name is actually Bobby Ball. Bobby Balls is a typo on my part. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, damn it. Uh, it would really be nice if I did have two testicles, but unfortunately, I'll be Bobby Ball. I'll be Bobby Ball. And I try to refer it normally as a basketball because people hate hearing a man have not having two balls. They respect me less. Yeah, but just... yeah, no, he actually got the entire group from Revenge of the Nerds together right. to go out and look at these UFOs because it was the only sober people at the Christmas party. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Bobby and Monroe. I love it. All right. Now, one of the first things Halt wanted done was to set up a bunch of lightalls. And lightalls, they're essentially uh, floodlights on wheels that you can use to watch the skies. Okay. But the lightalls weren't working. Now, some say that they were just out of gas, and some of them certainly were, but not all of them. Hmm. Some of them just weren't working, just like the radios hadn't worked a couple nights before. Of course, the base was getting fired up, partly because they were getting a little action in the middle of a boring Cold War standoff, and partly because, admittedly, a lot of them were half in the bag from the Christmas party. Of course! And you know for a fact that him and the nerd squad are trying to set up these light alls, and they're just throwing bottles of beer at them, and like, they're, like, <laughs> they're shaking whiskey at them, being like, yeah, fucking get your gay yeah. UFOs, nerds, you know go what? get them! You... While they're, like, they're all just really being like, this is about the integrity of the base! Like, they're trying to keep the calm while everyone one dude is just like, hey, Tommy, look at this. Takes off all of his clothes, tucks his penis between his legs, and just goes and prances out in front of the sober group of alien hunters. Be like, I guess I'm an alien, aren't I? I'm an alien. Do you boys want to probe me? Reverse alien. Charles Holt be like, this is very serious. This is a serious time. This is military expenditures. Halt was not one of those men. He was not one of the drunk ones. In fact, Halt was meticulous. He took a handheld tape recorder everywhere he went to record his thoughts and observations. Kind of like, as Nick points out, Dale Cooper. Oh, yes, of course. So after Halt gave the order to refill the light alls or to do whatever the fuck needed to be done to get them working, he and his team headed out to the original landing site. Although we don't really know why they went to the original landing site. They didn't see the lights over there. They just kind of instinctively went over there. Well, we don't know. We don't know why they went out there. The answer, though, might be on one of Halt's tapes. 18 minutes of Halt's recordings from that night are available to the public. But according to an interview Halt did in 1999, he actually made four to five hours of tapes on December 27th, 1980. Yes, which shows that obviously what we're getting is a highly curated version of these events. Yeah, highly curated is a hell of a nice way of putting redacted, Mm -hmm. of saying redacted. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
But when asked to elaborate on what those tapes contained, Halt refused to comply, saying that most likely the public would never hear what was recorded. Hey, hey, uh, hey get out of the way, guy with his penis between his legs. You're not an alien. We're I'm being an ba- alien. No, you're not an alien. Get me. I'm an alien. Yeah, buddy, you're not going to feel so happy when you wake up at 5 a.m. hungover and I'm making you do 100 push-ups, okay? I'm an alien and I hear some dumb police officer. <laughs> So, in other words, we just got to make do with what we have here. Wow. Now, the first part of the tape, as they arrive to the landing site, is pretty standard. Just them using a Geiger counter to inspect the area. But then, they found something intriguingly radioactive directly below the craft's landing site. Hmm. We found a small blast, what looks like a blasted or scrubbed up area here. Wow, that's so they are they're acting as if I mean, they seem to be uh, acting authentically surprised very much or so. just intrigued at the very least. Now, what Nick Pope claims that, is that this reading, seven-tenths, is ten times what the normal radiation should be and is therefore proof that a UFO landed on this exact site. But on this point, we have to go with the skeptics. Well, this is... It's interesting because people love the concept of UFOs and radiation, that radiation is the smoking gun. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get radiation. There's something about it. It's like they also the way they take uh, hypnotic regression very, very seriously, where they, they believe this is the evidence you got to have. But we don't really know how the hell these things work. I don't know. Like they say, they, they're just looking for anything that seems to prove scientifically well, is that there, radiation is, is the way to show that UFO showed up. Is there any chance that because it's a nuke site or potentially a nuke site that the radiation would be higher? Well, I don't know. For one, it's obvious from the recording that this was a spike and not a steady reading, mm. which that, that spike could have been anything from environmental radiation to a malfunction of the needle. Okay. If it was an actual radioactive site, it would have gone... <laughs> Ooh, that cool. sounds like a fun bubble lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, started up, but it didn't. It was just one. It was just what one was, single spot. But it could have gone. It could have gone. <laughs> I don't know. It's, a, it's surprisingly peaceful. It is a shockingly peaceful sound. I think I want you to record that on loop for thirty minutes, and I'll just go to sleep. Listen to. <laughs> Yeah, it's ASMR, but it means you're slowly getting radiation poisoning. Oh, I see. All right. Well, furthermore, they were using the wrong type of Geiger counter to test for background radiation, meaning the readings they were taking were utterly useless. These are the sober ones? Yeah, these are the sober ones. Come on. They didn't know. However, Mm. just because the radiation is a bust does not mean that this entire incident is debunked. Okay. In fact, the debunkers may have ended up supporting one of our positions with their due diligence. Okay. Yes, you played into our hands, <laughs> didn't you? Yes, I'm Henry DeBunker. This is my wife, Harriet DeBunker. <laughs> they, uh, we're the DeBunker family. It's because we're mostly butt. <laughs> See, the DeBunkers figured out what kind of Geiger counter the men in the field were using. And it turns out 
that Geiger counter was more suited to monitoring major nuclear accidents, oh. such as the kind that might happen at a place that stores nuclear weapons. Whoa. We got you, fucking bitch. We got you. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. Cool. Now, it could be this Geiger counter was standard issue to every Air Force facility during the Cold War. You don't know? Sure. Maybe, know. but you don't find basketballs on a football field, okay, you my might. friend? A <laughs> kissel, you might. Well, you Someone no, might I'm... have brought a basketball to a football field. It's still sports. <laughs> no, right? still I sports. That's the, you actually, might not I'm find not... a pool net at a football field. <laughs> I don't think you would find it. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but, yeah, even if. You know, these are at every single place. It's nonetheless interesting that this facility in particular had this particular piece of equipment. Cool. Sure. But back to the landing site. This next clip is Lieutenant England describing what he was seeing concerning marks on the trees as he and the other men inspected the area in question. Yeah. So they're taking soil samples here, right? Of the yes. of the indentations of the three triangular indentations. Yes, where the where the UFO supposedly landed, and they're noticing the tree rubbings. So we have, so we have, um, so we have them. This is great. Yeah. So they are yes. like legitimately in real time uh, e- expressing exactly what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and as you can hear, although they stay professional, these men are steadily growing. More and more concerned. Right, right. Then, using night vision, the men started finding hot spots, like spots that were literally still warm. What? On the ground. On the ground and mm-hmm. on the trees. Wow. Yes. You saw there's a positive after effect? Yes, there is definitely. That's on the center spot. There is an after effect. What does that mean? The lights are turned off once we are focused in and allow time for the eyes to adjust. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot, as uh, which will show up on the heat some form of energy. It's hardly heat at this stage of the game. It it's 32 degrees outside. That's a part of it. That like this, It's winter time. Right. So it is very strange for this heavily packed soil. To have heat radiating out, radiating out from the, somewhere in the bottom of it. Right. I mean, I, it does beg the question, do the aliens know it's Christmas? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, that is, does it matter if they don't celebrate? Exactly. <laughs> then it's just like, I mean, that's my thing. That is really awesome, uh, compelling audio, though. Mm-hmm. Crazy. All right. Dude, and there's still so much more to go. Then, very suddenly... They started hearing noises from some of the nearby farms, or at least from the surrounding wildlife. We're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmers' barnyard animals. They 
The animals are freaking out. Like there's there's now something happening. We're now the that whatever the event is is starting to freak out all animals, which is a common occurrence during a UFO, any sort of incident. Right, right. Awesome. I mean, how important is animal reaction? And I'm not like being like because obviously when a storm's coming, the birds know. Like, mm-hmm. but how important is that when you have animals be like, "Yo, some shit is going on here," and we're not. I mean, no one is, is ever going to uh, be convinced that a um, that some bizarre wolf is a conspiracy theorist on aliens. I- during Skinwalker Ranch, we saw that they use dogs as their bio readers. They use right. them as a the because they do experience certain levels of. I don't know if it's either they can, they can hear more things that we know. They're more tuned to their natural instincts. They could see a little bit more of the electromagnetism of the world. I'm not really sure how that works, but they do freak out when weird shit happens. All right, for all of our Pomeranian listeners out there, shoot us a DM. <laughs> Let us know what you think. But also, yeah, and Wendy just freaks out. Um, did anybody walk past the window? Of so. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they saw the light. Uh-oh. You just saw a light Right on this position here, straight ahead in between. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flashlight there. So there it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So, yeah, can I get some word? Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. You'll see on maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from yeah, the site. Yeah. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight set. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so I can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the binary animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site. I'm through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Now, that part of the tape we just played is a big point of contention when it comes to the debunkers. They say that the light Halt and the other men saw at this point in the tape was just a lighthouse off the coast. And when they're talking about that light in particular, the debunkers might be right. The lighthouse in question shines at five-second intervals. And the spot in the tape where they say, it's gone. Oh, wait, it's back again. That's exactly five seconds in length. Okay. But that doesn't explain what happened next. Okay. Listen to this. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yeah. It's coming this way. Awesome. It's definitely coming this way. The two pieces of it are shooting off. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, definitely moving no, to the left. Two lights. Two lights. Two lights. One light to the left. Take the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Get the headset on. See if it gets any stronger. Okay. Give us, give us a way down. notation that this is on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading? Okay. okay. It still has been removed. Okay. This is what's going off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. Off to the right. Strange. Oh, well, what do you I do like that they reacted the exact same way all of us would. Just be like, "Oh yeah, it's weird." weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck? Well, yeah. What they Charles is seeing is that this red light that appeared to be back behind the trees. Uh huh. They're seeing this thing is now weaving its way through the trees. Wow. So, and the way the way he described it, it was it looked like an eye, a giant red eye with a black center and a big red ring around it. And what's weird is the fact that it's coasting around and it's shooting off 
sparks. Jeez. It's shooting off these little driblets off to the side, which if you saw the uh, live show for last podcast and left last year, I showed some footage of a UFO, like a globular style UFO. Right, right. Shitting out the things out of the back of it, and it was doing the same exact thing. Interesting. And you can get our live show from last year. You can still get it on uh, lastpodcastlive.com. Mm-hmm. It's still only $6.66, so uh, we can't wait to see everybody on the road for this year's live show, but if you want a little taste, watch last year's. Good plug. So this is really, this is some of the most compelling audio I've ever heard. Yeah. For sure. And the other thing about the lighthouse, it's not like the lighthouse just happened to be turned on for Christmas. This thing was going constantly. So they would have known if it was the lighthouse. All night, I feel, every I, night. that is my opinion, yes. is that they would have known the difference between the lighthouse and other lights right. on uh, like uh, around and then the fact that they're saying weird and the fact that it was red and that, like th- i think that's the 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 three dimensional quality is what uh-huh. kicks in here yeah. is that they see this shit begin to approach right mm-hmm. and do a little dance for them yeah and these were air force men it's not like they never looked at this fucking sky right. i mean the lighthouse was a known quantity yeah it it could have been like just once or twice they saw the lighthouse but uh you know the this is something that was a a static object in their environment yeah i mean i don't think a lighthouse resembles a a a strange detached hemorrhoid coming towards you (laughs) unless it's a cool as fuck lighthouse maybe i don't know to have like a goth lighthouse where it's all black and it shines a red light but i feel like which is what a goth lighthouse would want which is just destroy as many ships as possible yeah that wouldn't really work and the lighthouse theory definitely doesn't explain what happened at the end of the tape. Listen to this. What's moving away from us? Moving out fast. This one on the right heading away, too. Yeah, we're both heading north. Okay, here, here he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. This is unreal. To the ground, man. I think he's Pittsburgh. I think that's he what that is. Be. I think that's Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think that's the answer. That's yeah. some kind of Pennsylvania. But yeah, man, that's fucking freaky. Yeah. Uh, very cool. That's the shit. Yeah, yeah, they saw some shit. Yeah, I definitely. think about how collected you have to be as a military person to be able to see this thing like shoot a little light and not be like. Right, right. It's almost like they're not MUFON investigators and they were actually trained by competent militant minds. I am trained by the best teacher possible, which is me. <laughs> well, later, Halt said the light in question was pencil thin, like a laser, and it struck a point on the ground just 10 feet in front of him. Then the UFO flew right above Woodbridge and shone a light directly down to the base, which is a show of strength if I ever fucking heard one. Yeah. You're like, look what I can do. Whoa. Look what I can do, and you can't do anything. That I love that about UFOs when it's because they talk about the idea is that the presence of these things, that they acknowledge your presence. They are communicating with you. So right. it's just showing you being like, what can you do? You can even shoot shotguns at me. The last guy tried that. Right. They did nothing. They just all hurt each other. And still, that wasn't the only thing that happened that night. While these guys were off in the woods... 
John Burroughs from a couple of nights before was having a second encounter. Jeez. When he heard the UFO was back, he'd hightailed it back to the base because Burroughs claimed that he was inexplicably drawn to the craft. And at first, Halt had told his men to keep Burroughs the fuck away from the landing site. Mm. But eventually, he and a man named Sergeant Adrian Bustenza were given... Played by Jason Alexander oh. in the movie. <laughs> He's very talented, very talented. He was given permission to approach one of the lights to see if he could confirm or deny that this was indeed the same craft. But as they were driving towards the light in a jeep, a streak of blue transparent light came streaking towards them, followed by a white object that floated in the distance. Huh. Then, when they got out of the jeep to walk towards it, the light started coming towards them. Uh-oh. Bastinza hit the ground, but Burroughs... It's unbelievable! <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable! <laughs> but Burroughs kept walking forward. Eventually, he disappeared into the light and was gone for several minutes before reappearing. Whoa! Again, he had no recollection of what happened and had missing time when he walked out. But... This did add another fairly close-up witness to the phenomenon, bringing the number of people who saw something that night to about 60. 60? Yeah, dude. Whoa! Of military dudes. 60 military guys yeah. saw this shit. But the sightings are only half the story. <laughs> the other half is the inevitable cover-up, <gasps> which we'll cover on the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident Part two. Awesome. That's not some... only the cover up, we're also going to cover the ways specific members of this this entire incident and people that were affected by it, how they went completely fucking insane. Right. We will talk about like the, the, the there's a lot more here. We're going to talk a little bit about binary code. We're going to talk about some people got scooped. We're going to talk about a crazy person named Larry Warren that just some kind of insinuates himself into the story somewhere in the mid-90s where he just all of a sudden, I was there too. <laughs> um, there's a lot of those guys that will show up in this story. But awesome. man, I, I love, was the one who I took my penis between the legs. I was the one who did that. <laughs> that was me. I was the idiot. I was doing that. Um, wow. Awesome. This is without a doubt the best uh, UFO encounter we've ever covered. It, I, mean, I think anyway. It, it is compelling. Yeah, it's awesome. The it. audio is just so kick-ass because it's chilling. Mm -hmm. It really is. Well, it shows that the these guys really did the the, the the aftermath, too. It shows that whatever happened, they saw some shit. I Absolute, don't know what the hell yeah. was going on. And, and then we'll also go through all the various ways whether or not this is a hoax next episode, too. Because awesome. there were several people that said that this was some kind of prank. There were people that well, said Christmas this was the prank. Yeah, one of those yeah. classic Christmas pranks we all know like, about. Yeah, Robert, my cousin Robert, he killed his whole family. Yeah. That's what happens in a prank goes back. <laughs> um, awesome. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, let's see. We had a great time hanging out with all of you in Kansas City and Denver and Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. N no lie. That was one of the best three-day little mini tours we've ever done. Without a doubt. Everyone was so freaking sweet. Uh, yes. Thanks for the vapes in, uh, in Denver. And honestly, thanks for all the incredible artwork. We had some incredible... Incredible. We don't even like we, you don't need to give us any gifts. We have to fly them back and everything. <laughs> but every time we receive something, you all are just so talented. I mean, it's really awesome. We got to see Jeffrey Dahmer's high school.
school yearbook. That was cool as shit. The 1977 yearbook. I have a quite. I have a picture that I have to post. If yes. you're the listener that uh, showed us a video, please hit me up so I can tag you properly. But man, oh man, we had some good. The, uh, honestly, I just love being on the road. I love listening. Yep. Like I love meeting the listeners. I love doing the live show. It's so much fun. It's this, so uh, you much guys have fun. really made this mean a lot to us. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be in Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland real soon. Vancouver still has some tickets available. So please, I don't know the next time we're getting back to Canada. Yeah. Uh, this might be our only Canadian trip this year, don't you think? It's yes. A, it's, yeah. I think this is our only Canadian trip. So, so far. You know, have fun yeah. with it. Make a weekend out of it. Drive from Calgary. Drive, drive from Canada, wherever you are. Come and see us. Um, it will be a very fun time. So yeah. please get those tickets to Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland. We'll see you in your beautiful states, cities as well very soon. Um, and keep on supporting all the shows here on Last Podcast Network, Page 7, Top Hat, Whizbrew, Whiz uh, Movie Signs with the Mads. You know the shows you love. Keep on supporting the network because all ships rise. And we are really trying our best to uh, to get this network you know, off the ground. And uh, Well, it's already off the ground, but when we, we want it to be flying even higher. Yeah. So, we want to show you guys our tree rubbins. Yes, <laughs> we want to get the we want to get the tree rubbins for you. So thank you all so much for supporting the network and thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. Again, without you nothing is possible and you know, you're 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 part of the fam. We're like the Green Bay Packers. Everyone's part of the family here. So thank you so much. Henry and I actually had a chance to um interview really awesome awesome guest she is the uh, she is the director of hail satan a wonderful wonderful guest that we got to speak with um penny lane penny lane Penny Lane. it was an really really good very we talked about satanism she she, honestly she fucking really knows what the hell she's talking about she's great great. and check out her documentary hail satan um it was wonderful so thanks all for giving to our patreon and do we have any is there any um what do we have? Do we have to t- tell, talk to our audience about anything right now? Like, yeah, and we're, we're going to be coming to Australia here yep, uh, in, in June. So, uh, yeah, be, a lot of those shows are selling out. But uh, come on out to Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Perth, the whole thing. Yeah, Sydney. Come on out. Yeah, buy them tickets to Sydney. You buy them tickets. We're going to see in Sydney. Can't wait to be in Australia. I can't yep. wait to be upside down. I want to meet a sp- I want to meet all the spiders. I want to kiss Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um... All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We absolutely love you. Uh, I guess this is the time where we close it out, huh? Yeah, it yeah. is. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Magustalations. Hail me and look to the skies. You don't know what you shall see. Well, in this case, I look have... to the ground as well, right? Sometimes. Yeah. It's good to look to the ground so you know where your feet are, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that does make sense. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.